Man, I enjoyed worship today. Did you? Yes. I just... That word about peace when we shift our focus to him is, is good, 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 good. I don't know about you, but I can get caught up in the things going on in life. Like the hole on that side of the building. <laughs> if you know, you know. I just... Uh... And and somebody will tell Hunter, thank you so much for continuing to push the water off of the patio. He's doing it right now. Way to go, Hunter. Good job. Um, we are getting close to finishing up, Mark. We started, what did we start in? February? I can't even remember when we started, but we're, um, I, uh, this is, I think, message 30, 31, something like that, through the book of Mark. Um, I thought I knew what I was getting into. Uh, when we started Mark, and my my knowledge was limited ahead of all the study that went into this. But um, we are going to close out chapter 15 today. I'm going to read a good chunk of scripture, and then we're going to hone in on what we're going to do. So if you have your Bibles, your physical Bibles, your devices, go to Mark 15. We're going to start in verse 16. There we go. We're close to the end of Mark here in chapter 15. The the story of Jesus and his exploits on earth is coming to a climax at this point of the story. The intensity is maxed out and we're deep into the worst part of the ordeal that he must go through. In chapter 16, we will see the results of all the suffering and the joy that comes after the sorrow. But right here, right now, in Mark 15, it's pretty dark. I must say, to be completely honest with you, that I am looking forward to chapter 16. I feel like, I feel like we've been in this moment for a while here, in, in the darkness of this moment. But God's word doesn't waste our time. And, uh, and you, you can get depressed if, if you want to just think about negative things. But when we come to God's word, we come to be taught we come to be corrected, we come to be instructed and encouraged, and that's what it does. So even though this is a dark moment in this story, and we're not getting to the bright stuff until next week, we can learn the truths that God has for us here today. God knows what we need, and there is always truth to apply. So we're going to dig into the word today. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word, the ingesting of your word today? We come humbly to your word, to be taught. We don't come with, with a proud mind or heart. We want to learn from you. We want to glean from you. Would you teach us today through your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Starting in verse 16. The soldiers took him away, Jesus, into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him and they led him out to be crucified. They pressed into service a passerby from the country, Simon of Cyrene the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And then they brought him to the place Golgotha, 
which translated means the place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down off the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man is the son of God. We're going to stop there. Jesus has just come from Pilate's. Um, residence, or at least the place where he uh, executed judgment, which is nearby the Praetorium. This is the uh, this is the Fortress Antonia. It's on the north side of the temple. Um, they built this thing. It was it's big. It was a big fortress. It was strong, and it was part of the temple complex. They built it right there because if a revolt was going to start in. Jerusalem or in, in uh, Judea, it was going to be at the religious site of the Jews. That's where they were going to get themselves worked up and do something stupid. So you wanted a bunch of soldiers right there. So that's why it was built there. There's still remnants of it today. And there was a giant water reservoir underneath there. Um, they, were, they were ready. It was a well-fortified place. So they had just done the trial uh, before Pilate. Pilate had pronounced the sentence, crucifixion, Uh, to be carried out immediately, and they then took him, he handed him over, and likely the other two robbers too. We don't know, we don't know that for sure, but they all went through the same gauntlet. And the soldiers all came together, and they were going to have some fun. This was basically a pretty cruel uh, frat party. That's what this was. Uh, Soldiers being soldiers um, in a foreign land, doing things that, that should not be done, but they were mocking him, and they mocked him as king. The purple robe and, his, and the crown of thorns and the stick as a scepter 
They mocked him as king. They were making fun of the claim and the charges that were brought against him, the king of the Jews. And when they were done with that, they, they pulled off the, the purple robe. It doesn't say they took off the crown, but they took off the robe and they put his own clothes back on him. And then they gave him his cross and he was marched out of the praetorium onto the city streets. They would not have taken a direct route to where the crucifixion would take place because the way the Romans did crucifixion was they wanted everybody to see this. So one, they would do it at a a very busy public intersection where lots of cross traffic and lots of people were going by so that they would get this image in their mind. This was just common practice. But also on the way from the praetorium to the place where he was executed, they would take a winding way through the city so that many people would see it. And one of the soldiers accompanying would likely walk in front of him carrying that placard that was eventually nailed on the cross that said, King of the Jews. Now, King of the Jews doesn't sound like such a bad offense to you or me, because we call him king, but to call yourself a king in that time under Caesar was absolutely a death sentence because you were setting yourself up against Caesar. Remember the the Pharisees and, and leaders said to Pilate, you're no friend of Caesar if you let this guy go because he calls himself a king. Mark also mentions uh, that Simon the Cyrene was, was there and he was forced into um, help, out the, help out the criminal, right? Help carry the cross. We're not going to get into that story. It does, it does mention that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus, uh, which are Greek names. But, but um, Mark was writing to probably the church in Rome so the, he's mentioning these guys because they would know who these guys are. And so this is Simon the Cyrene. This is the guy, that important guy in the church who is the father of these men that you know. And then they offered him the, the wine mixed with myrrh or the myrrh mixed into the wine. This was likely a compassionate group of uh, women from Jerusalem that would do this for people being executed. The wine with myrrh would dull the pain, but just the pain response in the brain and lessen what was experienced. It would diminish um, the, the torture of, of what was going on, but it would also diminish his reasoning and clarity of thought, and so Jesus refused it. Given the, the buildup to this moment, the next scripture says, and they crucified him. Given the significance of this moment um, and everything leading up to it, it seems like a, a pretty drastic understatement to just say they crucified him. All the, and who he is, and, and the fact that this is the centerpiece of the entire story, the entire gospel, and they crucified him. Almost in its understatement, it feels like. It's intentionally done that way to bring your attention to it. Like this is a, this is a momentous occasion. They crucified him at the third hour, which means 9 a.m., about 9 a.m. Busy time of day. Those who were passing by were hurling insults and abuse. As I mentioned, crucifixion was done at a major intersection. So you got all these people and the, and the culture is very expressive. They like to, they like to uh, 
Well, if you didn't know the language and you saw them bartering in the market, you might expect somebody to die. You might, you might expect somebody to pull a knife or something because it just sounds like they're angry. So the culture is a very expressive culture. So they're not going to hold back. <laughs> no. And they think this guy did something stupid or maybe even some of these people passing by had hoped he would be the Messiah, but he didn't become that kind of Messiah. So now you didn't do it our way. So you, you claim to be Messiah. Come on, big boy. Let's go. Let's get this party started. At the sixth hour, darkness fell for three hours. From about noon to about three, there was darkness over the land. There's no no physical or scientific explanation for this. It could have, some say it could have been an eclipse. It was full moon because it was the, the festival time. So it would have been full moon, but an eclipse does not last for three hours. So, uh, We don't know why it got dark. The scripture says it got dark. From noon to three, the brightest part of the day, and it got dark for those three hours. Jesus was on the cross bearing the sin of the world. Never mind the physical torture of what was going on. He was bearing the the weight of the sin of the world, which meant that the father necessarily had to reject him. Justice and righteousness and holiness of God necessitated him rejecting Jesus in that moment because he was, in that moment, taking the punishment for our sin. Then he cried out, why have you forsaken me? I don't know why people thought he was calling for Elijah. I I studied, I can't figure out why he would have, except for that maybe they thought he was delirious, but that's not what he said. Um, So they just, there was some cultural thing going on there. They he called for Elijah. Let's see. Let's, let's hang out and see if something crazy happens. Maybe Elijah will really come. So at that point, they give him sour wine or vinegar, and he does drink that, and he cries, gives a loud cry. Other accounts in other gospels tell us what this cry was. It is finished, and he gave up his spirit. Mark says he gave up his spirit, or Matthew says he gave up his spirit. Here it says he breathed his last. Remember that Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, but I give it. I give it. And so in this moment, he, it was finished and he released his spirit. It might actually go the other way and say he released his body because <laughs> that body was done. That body was done. He gave it up. No one took it from him. And then this fascinating and awesome statement, and the veil of the temple was torn into, you guys, there's just so much in here. I'm going to have to narrow it down in a minute, and I will. But the veil of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom. This was a 40-foot high section of 18-inch cloth woven that way. It wasn't layer, 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 layer. It was woven that thick, that tall, that big. It was huge. There was no way that any human could do damage to it besides setting it on fire. Nobody went on the other side of this except for one time a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go on the other side of this veil to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and confess the sins of the nation one time a year. And nobody else got to ever see that or go back there. And now God, in this moment, in purely supernatural act, 
no other explanation for this because the rest of the temple was intact, took that thing and went and just separated it into top to bottom, not even bottom to top. You can't reach something 40 feet high. Just just a, a wild statement, a wild thing that God did in that moment. We could talk about the symbolism of, of rending the garments because of the injustice that was just done, or, or more likely, I, I like the, the thought of God removing the barrier because of what was just done. Right? So Jesus had just paid the price, and, and this thing represented that barrier, represented our sin nature that kept us from the presence of God. And, and God said, that's it. It's been taken care of. You can come in. You can come in. This way is open now. Into the Holy of Holies, into his very presence. And then there's also this mentioned, that the centurion saw that the way in which he breathed his last, or the way in which he gave up his spirit, convinced him that this was the Son of God. We don't know if this guy saw any of the miracles that Jesus did or heard any of his arguments or anything. All all we know that he saw was he was there when Jesus gave up his spirit. You remember later on, they, they come by and they break the legs of the criminals, but they find that Jesus is already dead. So they, they run him through with a spear just to make sure. Jesus had decided at that, at that time, at the ninth hour, that, sorry, the 12th hour? I can't, I can't remember where we're at now. <laughs> at that time, after three hours of darkness, that it was finished and he gave up his spirit. And that centurion was convinced that he was who he said he was. Now, we're going to narrow this in. This was a big passage and so many things in there could, we could vamp on, right? We could, we could really get into. The title of today's message is Successful Suffering. That's a lot of S's in there. Successful suffering. Suffering, succotage. Three lessons that we see from the way that Jesus goes through this final part of the ordeal. We, I feel like we've been talking about suffering a lot. I know a couple weeks ago I was, I was at Federal Way and, and that's what I was preaching on there. So maybe it's just me feeling like I'm talking about it a lot, but it also feels like there's a lot of just suffering in general in the world around us, in our lives. There's, there's people that are, that are sick or dying. There's illness, there's disease, there's injustice, there's, there's terrible things going on. And so suffering is just, it's an inevitable part of our life. And we've talked about that before. But we've also talked about that the fact that God, being who he, he is, and we were singing about it today, uses all the suffering. He uses all the things going on in your life. Romans says that he uses all things for your good. Your good being making you, informing you, molding you into the image of Jesus. Making you like Jesus, not not. You're not going to just have the perfect beard and, and the right kind of hair and the right kind of clothes. Not that kind of image of Jesus. The image of who Jesus is in relationship to the Father and his, his perfect holiness and righteousness and, and ability to just have direct and unfiltered communication with the Father. That's why you were created, and that's why 
God will use all things to make you into that. That is your destiny. And we've talked about that because we, we, we read Romans 8, 28 and 29. Always read verse 29 with that because that's your destiny. So we're, there's three things that we see Jesus do or avoid in this passage. And I think if we are going to, in pursuit of our destiny, and in wanting God to be in a place where God can use all the things in our life, we want to look at these three things. The first one is he stayed on target. He stayed on target. Jesus was focused. There is a goal that we are shooting for. And that is that this trial has the ability in God's hands to move us closer to that goal, our destiny. We have to remember our destiny to be like Jesus in relationship to the Father. The very thing that the enemy meant for evil and destruction, God will use for his glory and to turn around and burn the enemy in his attempt. God will do that. That's, part of, that's a major part of who he is, is taking the things that happen, taking the things that people do and the enemy does and working them for his ultimate good and glory. Now, Jesus was focused on the target. He was focused on the result. He was focused on what he was trying to accomplish and not distracted by the things um, that, that were in the misery of the moment. But he also avoided things that would sway his focus. And he avoided the easy way outs because he was focused on that result. There will likely be an easy way out for a trial that you are going through. There, there could be an easy way out where you all you have to do is compromise on a principle. All you have to do is not confess Jesus, or all you have to do is avoid the conversation. I see this with uh, kids learning a work ethic by doing chores. Come on, somebody. We got any parents in the room? Got any kids in the room? All right. Chores, yeah! See, I've never seen a kid do that. I've never seen a kid do that. When you are teaching a kid to do chores... It's twofold. One, you live in this house and you're going to help keep it, keep it in order. But two, you need to know how to work. You need to learn how to work. The, the goal of doing chores and having assigned things is that you learn a work ethic. You learn how to do things proficiently. You, knew, you learn how to keep your mind focused and get a task done. Now, you could avoid, as a kid, you could avoid doing your chores. I don't recommend it. If your parents have some consistency, um, I don't recommend avoiding your chores. But you could, and you would get out of doing that work. Maybe just by not doing it, or maybe by hiding in the backyard, or uh, you know, you could you could get out of it a variety of ways. But if you do, you might get out of that moment of work, but you will miss the lesson, and you will miss the whole goal of going through that. And that goal is that you learn how to work. It's going to set you up well for life if you know how to work and, learn and work hard. And so it's important that you go through that, not find the easy way out. Jesus 
definitely had a way or two out in this ordeal. We read earlier um, in, in the garden, in Matthew's account, when Peter cuts off the guy's ear, Jesus said, stop it. That's not what we're doing. Um, we're not, we're not going to fight right now. Don't you think that the father would give me thousands of angels right now to deliver me and, and wipe out my enemies? He had that at his call at any moment. He could appeal to his father. Twelve legions, scripture says. That's a lot of angels. And it wouldn't take many angels to deal with what he had going on. He could have ended that suffering at any moment. He could have annihilated his tormentors. Another way out was the wine that he refused. He could have medicated himself. He could have doled his senses and not felt the the thing that he was supposed to feel, the thing that he was going through. Because he was focused, he stayed on target. He was looking at the other side, he was looking at what he was to accomplish, and he would not let things stop that. They tried to give him the mixed wine with myrrh, or wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. He wanted a clear mind, he wanted to stay focused on what he was doing and why. He refused the wine, he didn't call the angels, he was focused on what needed to be accomplished, he wasn't bailing out. Redemption was the goal. Your redemption and my redemption was the goal. That's what he saw. That's what he was going for. Remember that this present suffering will be a part of how God achieves your destiny. I'm going to say that again. Remember, this is what we started with. This present situation, whatever it is that you are suffering through or working through right now is part of how God will get you to your final destination. We were talking about this earlier, Peter. I don't want to be in this thing. I want God to fix it and make it go away. And God's saying, yeah, but you're going to learn something here. And this is going to be a major part of how you grow. And and you you can't even imagine what's on the other side. Stick with me. I will work things for your good. Jesus stayed on target. And aren't we grateful he did? The second thing that we see Jesus using in this, in this passage is um, he didn't get bitter. He didn't get hard or angry. He stayed soft and forgiving. Now, this is critical because we've talked about suffering being inevitable, but people will hurt you. Let me say that again. People will hurt you. That is inevitable. Unintentionally or intentionally. Because of human nature and the sin that is rampant in creation, people will do bad things. Sin, independence, and rebellion in our human nature makes these things really easy to do. So abuse and mistreatment of others happens regularly. Many times harm will come unintentionally. Someone acts in their own dysfunction, their own hurt, and it ends up directly hurting people around them, mostly family and friends. Other times, there is actual hatred and malice behind the harm done, and the offending person absolutely meant to hurt you through their actions. It was vengeful. It was spiteful. Can you relate to either of those? I bet most of us have experienced both. 
Jesus suffered both, but he did not grow bitter. He did not let, let that make him hard or bitter. Luke 23, 34 says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Are you kidding me? They do not know what they were doing. So he's saying this is unintentional. They're, I mean, yeah, they're doing what they're told. They're, they're crucifying. That's obviously meant to cause pain, but, but they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was speaking of the Roman soldiers that were simply carrying out orders. The people asking, uh, the people walking by were, uh, were likely not trying to harm in the sense that they hated Jesus, but making commentary on a political situation. They didn't hate Jesus. They just didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand what was happening. The robbers crucified on either side of him also insulted him. This was done out of their own pain and misery. But what if someone did know what they were doing? It was intentional. Take, for example, the religious leaders. They had directly opposed Jesus now for three and a half years, always looking for a way to, to knock him down and get him out of the way. And now finally they had succeeded in having him executed. They knew what they were doing. They made themselves his enemies. They made themselves his enemies. They set themselves up against him. Yet what did Jesus say about enemies? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you've all heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Wow. It's one thing to say that in the Sermon on the Mount. When you have a bunch of people listening to you, it's another thing to live it out in the moment when your enemies are actually killing you. But Jesus was completely consistent. He did not hate his enemies. He prayed for his enemies. Now, that's not to say that Jesus agreed with them or acquiesced to those who made themselves his enemies. He definitely feuded with them publicly for all three and a half years. But his remarks and even his name-calling, because he called them names, were accurate depictions of what their heart was like or what it was they were doing with their role that they should not be doing. They were not demeaning their worth as a human and one of God's image bearers. He did not do that. He did not do that. Jesus prayed for them, wanting their salvation as well. And now, here on the cross, he receives verbal abuse on top of the physical abuse he's already sustained by people who were responsible for putting him there in the first place and by people who thought he did it wrong and were disappointed and by people who were in pain. But Jesus did not respond. He didn't get bitter. He didn't harden himself off. You might say he was slightly preoccupied with the situation and not paying attention to anything they said. Yeah, that could be the case. But he didn't give those things time. 
or place in his heart. He didn't let him get it. He didn't let those get him off target. He didn't allow bitterness to cloud his vision. He refused to give those things a permanent space in his soul. Jesus knew that people are sinful and will do terrible and hurtful things. In fact, that's why he was here in the first place. And when it was directed at him, he didn't let unforgiveness and bitterness get to him. He stayed soft and forgiving before the Father. The first thing Jesus did was he stayed on target. He wouldn't let things take him off of that goal, of his destiny, and he would not take the easy way out. The second thing was he would not get bitter. And the third thing is Jesus was honest with his pain. He was real about what he was going through. As we've already seen, the pain and the cause of pain of suffering is real. All of us have experienced it. It's real. So you have permission, just in case you didn't feel like you you did, you, you have permission to acknowledge that pain and to process it. In fact, you must acknowledge it and process it. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the one who the very night before received strengthening from an angel for this task, even him, even even the Son of God did not remain stoic in this moment. He didn't just stuff it. He didn't just pretend it didn't happen. On the cross, Jesus says at the ninth hour in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have forsaken me. And it was true. Jesus was grieving what was going on. He was saying it out loud. He was in immense pain and agony, not just a physical, but the weight of the sins and then the punishment that came with that. The father had literally turned his back and withdrawn his presence from Jesus because of the sin that he was carrying. And Jesus didn't pretend that he was fine. He didn't, he didn't say, oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> We're all in church. Like, I know you came in that door and somebody says, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and you went, going into lie mode. <laughs> all right. We're going to, great. I'm doing great. Now, it's, and okay, it's okay to be feeling great that you're in church. I feel great that I'm in church and I'm glad you do too. But if you are down, if you are suffering, if there are things going on in your life and you are hurting, it's not, it's not right to just pretend you're fine. Jesus didn't, and you shouldn't. So the point is, you got to talk to somebody. Hiding it doesn't help you. It makes it worse. Pain grows in the dark. And instead of going through a, a process of healing, it, it instead festers and gets infected. And then you end up causing more damage to the people around you because you have not dealt with your pain. Talk to trusted people and find them if you don't have them. Find trusted people that you can talk to. Find safe place to process. I bet there's people in this room that you could talk to and pray with, believers that could stand with you in prayer as you go through hard things. Jesus was honest with his pain and real about it, so we should be. So we have these three things. 
talking about suffering, talking about how we do this, how Jesus did this in this moment and what we can learn. Stay focused on your destiny. Stay on target, knowing that God will use these things, these present circumstances to get you there. He will use them. He won't get you there in spite of these things. He will use them to get you there. We need to stay forgiving and soft and not bitter. That doesn't mean put yourself in dumb situations. It just means that people are going to hurt you and you know that and you're not going to give it space in your heart to stay there and you're not going to hold that against people. And then third, we need to be honest with the suffering and the pain that we're going through. We got to be real. We got to talk to people. We got to process that out loud even as our Savior did on the cross. We want to be like Jesus in all things. We say this, we're his disciples, right? So we want to be like Jesus. Well, this is how he went through incredible suffering. So for you today, what do you need to apply to your life? What do you need in your situation right now? Do you need to find somebody to talk to and process and be honest with the things you're feeling and the situation that you're going through? Do you need to, possibly the hardest one of these three, do you need to stay in a place of softness and forgiveness even when people do hurtful things? Do you need to relinquish, you need to get rid of that bitterness that's in your heart that's taken up space that shouldn't be there? that keeps you from receiving, that actually keeps you from from allowing the Lord to use that for your destiny. Does that make sense? If If I am bitter, then what I'm doing is I'm holding on to this thing and I'm not allowing God to use it for my good. Do you need to renew your focus and stay on target and avoid the easy way out, knowing who that God is who he is? What do you need to do? Don't say it out loud. I'm just asking repeatedly. It's still rhetorical. <laughs> Can we just take this to the Holy Spirit for a moment? This is what, this is what he's teaching us in Scripture. Lord, we, we, uh, we certainly go through things. We certainly have troubles and trials and suffering in our own life. But here we see Jesus going through the worst trial imaginable. None of our suffering will ever measure up to what what he suffered. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. As we hold this thing before you, as, as we don't have solutions on our own, Lord, we need your grace and help to stay in a forgiving place. Lord, we need your strength to stay focused and and remember the destiny that you've called us to. And remember that you are who you said you are and you will use these things to get us there. Help us to be honest with the things that we're going through. Lord, I just pray that you would, you would knit us together in relationships 
that facilitate this kind of processing. Lord, some of us, some of the suffering that we're actually going through right now is actually loneliness. Lord, I pray that you would knit us together, that you would arrange divine appointments and relationships, and and you would help us to, to walk through these things honestly and in a real way like you did. Jesus, what an, what an honor it is to, to follow an example like you. And we remember in this moment that you have called us by name. And you have given us everything that we need. And you will complete the work that you started in us. You will complete the work that you started in us. You're the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. That's who you are. So we have hope and we have peace in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this suffering. Would you just, it doesn't have to be loud, but would you just out of your own mouth, just thank him. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for establishing, thank him for his promises to you that he has has spoken to you, he's given to you. There's comfort available. There's, there's, you're never going to be alone because he's with you at all times. And he will use everything. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful that you can use it. You can use it. We give you permission to use it. We give you permission. Amen. Amen. As you go this week, may the grace of Jesus Christ, who suffered like you so that he could be an understanding advocate for you, may that grace fill your life. May peace guard your mind and heart as you remember the objective and your destiny in Jesus. And may Jesus be glorified in you and your life this week. And it's in his name. We pray, amen. Amen. God bless you.